Hey everybody, we are back from our break and we are here with our Moonstruck episode, but before we get started, I just have a quick announcement. We have gotten some feedback from some of our listeners and we would like to implement some of that feedback into the show by altering our structure just a little bit. The show is still going to have the same great conversations about film that you have all become used to. It's just going to be structured just a little bit differently to give you a better, more enjoyable and streamlined experience. Thank you so much. Let's get to the show. In 1985, a whole two decades before his Tony Award-winning play, Doubt, A Parable, John Patrick Shanley was yet another aspiring playwright in his native New York City. Having garnered a small amount of success at the time, Shanley found himself still toiling in obscurity, struggling to make ends meet. In an attempt to bring in some money, Shanley decided to try his hand at screenwriting in the hopes of selling a script to Hollywood. The script he would end up writing was called... The Bride and the Wolf. Over the next year or so, The Bride and the Wolf would make its rounds through the network of Hollywood producers, many passing on the project due to its less accessible niche thematic story, until it came across the desk of acclaimed director-producer Norman Jewison. The director of such films as The Cincinnati Kid, In the Heat of the Night, Fiddler on the Roof, and Jesus Christ Superstar saw the coffee-stained front page of the script that had been passed on by many of his peers, but he saw something they didn't. Jewison contacted Shanley and the two of them met and sat down to read through the script together. And after that read through, Jewison knew he wanted to do the film and Shanley knew Jewison was the right person for the job. However, Jewison knew that although the script was sharp, frenetic, and insightful, it was also a tough sell to financiers. And one of the first things he pointed out was the title of the script, The Bride and the Wolf. Jewison said that that sounded a little bit akin to a horror movie, and so St. Shanley offered a list of alternate titles, of which Moonstruck was among. Now, with some rebranding and Jewison at the helm, financing needed to be secured, and within two weeks, the film was picked up by MGM Studios. Jewison went to work casting, and his number one pick for Loretta Castoroni was one none other than pop star diva Cher. Cher was hesitant to take the role at first, but with Jewison's persistent approach, she ultimately signed on and even recommended Nicolas Cage as her co-lead, even though the studio did not want him. However, with Cher and Nicolas Cage as the leads of your film, set was bound to be a bit difficult, and while the stars and their director frequently disagreed about various approaches to the performance, they were able to come together just as the big fictional Italian family they were portraying. Moonstruck landed in theaters in December of 1987, grossing over $122 million worldwide on a $15 million budget, while also receiving wide critical acclaim, garnering six Oscar nominations, and ultimately taking home three of them. One for Olivia Dukakis as the role of Rose, uh, Loretta's mother. Obviously Cher won for <laughs> Best Actress, and uh, Best Original Screenplay by John Patrick Shanley. These days, Moonstruck has fallen out of mainstream popularity, but to those who love it, it remains a bright, shining example of strong characters and magnetic performances. When the moon hits, moon your, hits your eye, like oh, sorry, what <laughs> a whole thing, dude. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. A, while we're all falling in love under the moon, uh, we ask the question Moonstruck, what's it about? I'm Ricardo Boyd Diaz, I'm Seth Crow, I'm Megan Branham. And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, the show where we try to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Oh my goodness, Seth, you stepped on my joke. I did I, I just I, I didn't mean to step on the joke. I okay. thought we 
all together now. When the moon hits your eyes, it's a No. Aww. Are you grumpy? Yeah, why are you grumpy? I'm sleepy. Why are you grumpy and sleepy? Why are you two of the seven dwarves? I'm not grumpy and sleepy. I'm only sleepy. And I'm always, I'm always sleepy. Well, I'm happy. That must make Seth dopey. Always. Forever (laughs) and always. I'm like dopey and Doc at the same time, you know? Yeah. Actually, today my nose is a little itchy, so maybe I'm sneezy. I was going to say allergy season. Yeah. Sneezy soon. (laughs) How are you guys doing today? Uh, I'm swell. How are you, Megan? I'm good. You're how's good. Everybody, how's everybody's last two weeks? Awful. Good. So, <laughs> so yes, we were off last week for anybody that uh, uh, noticed. Uh, I was away shooting uh, a, a movie, just a, a short shoot. And uh, uh, Megan, I believe you were on a camping trip, right? Yep. We went down to um, Florida for a quick camping trip. Awesome. How was that? It was so great. I, I grew up near the beach, so... Um, I needed to be near the ocean again and got a little sun, uh, got a little spoiled by the weather and then came back here. It's a little cold in Tennessee. It is. Yeah. But it was a really nice trip. Just like two days on the beach. Awesome. Uh, who, who'd you go with? Was it like family or was it like friends or was it just you? It was, uh, me and one of, um, Seth knows one of our friends that, um, we know from work, but, um, Naomi, who's their dog came. It was an ideal camping situation. Awesome. I was, I was jealous. I was jealous. You guys go to Chicago soon. I don't want to hear it. That's true. <laughs> You're going to Chicago? Yeah, I'm going to Chicago this coming weekend. Why? Uh, uh, just to go. Uh, uh, Ian, who we know quite well here on the podcast, has never been. And uh, he wants to check it out. So I'm going to give him the grand tour. Uh, try not to get in too much trouble. But we're going to have a good time. So awesome. Say hi to some of the rough cuts that are still there. Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna see Harry, but I, I think that's it. Maybe Brittany. I was say, Harry and Brittany. Oh yeah, that's right, Brittany. Yeah, yeah. Uh I was gonna say, uh, is Susan still there? Yeah, I guess. I guess. I haven't stayed in touch with her much though. So mm-hmm. that's fair. I think I was say the rest of us Ryan, uh, uh not Ryan, uh um Matt's not there? No, Rayburn Rayburn is like preaching these days. Where is he at? He's in uh, Indiana. He's in Indiana. Oh, that's right. He's from Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't didn't know he was preaching. I just didn't know he wasn't in Chicago anymore. Yeah. We we were the Chicago Seven Doors. That's that's the through line here. We were Uh, the Chicago Seven (laughs) Uh, But uh, speaking of... Uh, the last two weeks, I have been like had my head down in the improv world, uh, which has been pretty wild. Improv and comedy. Uh, I took two classes from TJ Jagodowski. For those of you who know who that is, he's kind of like a uh, the best long form improviser maybe in the world. Uh, nice guy too. Yeah, super nice guy. Uh, so I had I had a very cool couple weeks. I did a short form show. Um, I'm starting to take musical improv, Rick, Heck which yeah, is, man. which is weird. Uh, I love it. I love musical improv. Yeah. So I've been kind of like head down. Musical, um, uh, musical improv, uh, uh, Megan is, um, basically 
you are making up songs on the spot and like there's like an accompanist who's playing the music and so you're having to like sing a song that doesn't that you're making up as you're singing it oh okay (laughs) it's really really hard but it's very impressive (laughs) when done well what's weird about it is it's like hitting me way different than regular improv like regular improv i'm trying to i'm I'm thinking sharply you know Mm -hmm. like trying to be cutting and with musical improv i'm like a little kid and like the music just like hits me and it's like my whole body is engaged by it and Mm -hmm. it's it's really cool um yeah i just wanted to let you know that's what's going on over here with me uh i'm also i've already started rehearsing my hour uh as well yeah so i've done two full runs it's not funny yet uh all (laughs) yeah it's not so i have the structure uh i have the structure and it will be funny but it's not funny yet it will be funny you're absolutely right it absolutely will be funny so that was my special interest i'm funny (laughs) awesome yeah uh we've all had interesting weeks then because yeah i i I went and shot a, a – I had a just a one-day shoot for a movie in in Arizona. That was an interesting – I almost missed my flight. To get because, there? Yeah, because this is the second time I've done this in my life. And it's so stupid. I went to the wrong airport. <gasps> no. Nice. I've done this <laughs> twice in my life. I did it once in Chicago. I went to O'Hare when I was supposed to go to Midway. Mm. Uh, and then this one, I, so when I booked the flight, I, I put in Burbank cause like, I want to fly out of Burbank. I want to fly back to Burbank cause it's cheaper. So I selected a flight thinking that it was Burbank cause it was coming back into Burbank. Um, I did not realize it was leaving from LAX. Oh. So the, the, the flight mm. there was LAX mm. to Phoenix. And then the flight back was Phoenix to Burbank. So I got to Burbank airport. And I, I, I'm a, I get really anxious about being late, so I get to places really, really early. Luckily, so I got to Burbank Airport really early, uh, and then realized my flight was not on the, not on the board. And I was like, "What? Where's my flight? Where's my flight? It's supposed to be leaving in like a couple hours. It should be on here." And then I pulled up my ticket and I went, "No!" <laughs> and I immediately freaked out, but I couldn't get. I didn't want to get in my car because I was flying back to Burbank, right? So I was like, I could just leave my car here so i got an uber and the uber got me there but one minute after the doors were supposed to close but they they were calling my name as i'm like in security being like wait wait and luckily and i ran through the terminal i got to the gate and they're like yeah get on the plane right now (laughs) and so i got on (laughs) and like i was the last one on and it was i was like this is silly i almost missed that flight so bad it was definitely a, of uh, uh, a Macaulay Culkin Home Alone moment <laughs> of me like running through the airport. Wait! Don't close the door! <laughs> but it was – the rest of the trip was great. Uh, I was like – I was only on set for one day, but everybody was super welcoming. Uh, it was great to meet a bunch of new people, work with a new director, Derek Silver. Uh, uh, sorry, Derek Pike. I worked with a different Derek one. Derek Pike, he was great. Uh, everybody on set was awesome. So uh, I can't wait to see the movie because I was watching some of the uh, some of the footage. It looks good. It looks like nice. the footage like looks really nice. Hopefully, I get a nice clip out of it. So, like one of my goals in my career was to like do a, do a movie that my mom would watch 
without like, me being in it. Yeah. <laughs> like she would have watched it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> this is the closest thing cool. so far. Was it this movie or is it a different movie? This is a this is a different movie. Oh, a different one. Again, we might have to cut this because I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, this isn't live. Speaking um, of speaking of lifetime movies, um... <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Moonstruck. <laughs> I really quick, can I derail yeah. for a second? Because I've had a very good movie week. Oh. Very so Monday I saw RRR at uh, the Bell Court. I didn't know that was a movie. I've heard I've seen that on on like in text. Uh, on the internet and i'm like what is rrr have you seen it ricky i i have seen it it's bananas it's so fun like there was clapping in the theater there were it was like i was at a concert it was wonderful so Um, i believe it's it's indian right i believe so yeah 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 so it's like a it's like one of those indian like crazy action move action movies like it's it's there's also a dance-off there's also a musical Oh There's yeah, it's Bollywood. Tigers. They gotta have all of that. Yeah. There are tigers, there are motorcycles, there are horses, there are it's you it's gotta see it. Pretty epic, yeah. Check it uh, out. R R R. I think it it was nominated for Best uh, International Film, but I don't think it won. I think all no, on the Western Front won. Yeah, it went I think it won Best Song. Yeah. Um which is cool. And then uh last night I saw Scream Six. How was and- that? Oh my boy, my boy's in that. I, wait, who? My Ghostface? Bo- no, uh, Dermot Mulroney is in, in Oh my it. god, yeah, you're right. He is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I freaked out when he came on screen. I forgot he was in it when I went to go see it. But I am a big Scream fan. Like, uh, one day I'll pick it for this. But, like, I we won't already, shut up. We've already done it, but we can do it again. Our, that was our like, first one. We could do Scream 6. Oh, yeah, one. we could. Um, but I... I just I'm so impressed every time that they have not made I, I don't think they've made like a bad screen movie. There are some less perfect ones, but not bad. And this one did not disappoint me and it was so much fun. That's good. Um, I've 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 liked all the screen movies too. I like a lot of people bag on four. I think Forge I thought good. four was fine. Yeah. Four is my least favorite, but it's still good. Like well, mine goes three is my least favorite. I think three oh. is is silly. Interesting. Mine go my rating is one, six, five. Oh. Two, three, four. Whoa. Okay. How'd you yeah. feel about Nev Campbell not being in this one? I was I was bummed, but also I like the girl who's like the new final girl. Mm-hmm. I think they they wrote and cast her really well because she's like just different enough from Sydney, but you still mm-hmm. like her. Um, and also the way they frame it in the movie is like Sydney deserves her happy ending. And I was in the theater like she does. She, she does no, she really does, honestly, genuinely. <laughs> she's been through it. You know? Yeah, she does deserve her happy ending. She she yeah. does anyway. That's for sure. So um, yeah, I saw that, and then I watched Moonstruck last night too. So good movie awesome. week. Good movie week, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so speaking of which, speaking of Moonstruck, let's get into it. Moonstruck. The Moonstruck is our movie of of the week today. For anybody out there who hasn't seen Moonstruck in a while, um, uh, or has never seen it um this is the log line for moonstruck uh j- just as a refresher and then uh we can get into talking about kind of our general feelings about it before we get into the larger overall question uh so moonstruck is about loretta castorini who is a bookkeeper from brooklyn new york who finds herself in a difficult situation when she falls for the brother of the man that she is supposed to marry that is that is the the plot um, and that's basically what that is. That's it. 
I mean, I give uh, it a five. I give it a five. Uh, we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> I didn't write that. It's hard because all the all the meat and like the warmth of it comes from the the characters and it's hard to like distill yeah. that in a long well again i didn't write that that was from imdb so i take no offense <laughs> this is not <laughs> i take no offense hey killer job on the new intro bro oh thank yeah. you yeah. yeah yeah thank you um so uh megan this was your pick moonstruck was your pick why'd you pick moonstruck um it's the same answer every. I just pick movies that I really like. One day I'll pick one that I haven't seen yet. But uh, I, I just, I just like finished. I watched part of it last night and part of it this morning because I've seen it so many times that I was like, I just need a refresher. And it's so, it's so funny and it's so weird and it's like so romantic. Um, and I just don't think there's any movie like it. Like no movie makes me feel the same way this movie feels. Also Cher, I would do anything to watch Cher do anything for two hours. And Nicolas Cage being insane. It's so quotable. I watched it for the first time, like on TV. I think I was 17 or something and I never heard of it before. And I remember like my mom had seen it and she came into the kitchen and I was in the living room and I was just like, have you heard of this? This is spectacular. And she was like, yeah, obviously. Um, but it felt like a movie like I discovered cause I hadn't heard of it before. And then obviously learned it like one Oscars and people. Yeah. Know it's, this. it's one of these prestige movies from the eighties that like is, didn't like get swept up in like pop culture, like nostalgia. Like mm-hmm. it just, it exists and people who know about it, like, like it and, and, and revisit it. But it's not like one of these like constantly referenced by uh, me, it uh, is. Films. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. But even like, it has Nick Cage. Snap in it. out of it. <laughs> it has Nick Cage in it, and so it, and doing kind of a kind of an unhinged performance a little bit. Uh, and even amongst like Nick Cage movies, it's not one of those ones that people talk about, which is. I, I don't think it's that good of a performance oh. from Nick Cage. It's I little... didn't like his performance either. Yeah. That's part of the charm. <laughs> I lost my hand. I lost my what? My bride. Johnny has his girl. That's one of my favorite lines. Oh, so Chrissy, silly. bring me the big knife. Yeah, I won't do it. Bring me the big knife. No, Ronnie. Bring me the big knife. Oh, it's so good. It's one of my favorite scenes in like any movie ever. It's so silly. Yeah. Uh, Seth, what's your experience with Moonstruck? Uh, I it was a fun movie. It was a fun movie. Um, I I see how it is a, a I see how people love it. Um, but it's it's it for me. It's just like it was just like ah, yeah okay. Uh, I don't I like I like Cher. I think Cher is great, but I don't get how she won an Oscar for this film. Like that blows well, my let's, mind. Well, let's look up who else was nominated alongside her. Maybe that might explain something. Yeah, it might have been a bad year for movies because because um, I think she's I mean, great, it's, but it's uh, not an Oscar worthy. It's not like I don't know. Okay. I don't know. So the saying. other nominees in her category were Meryl Streep for Ironweed. Sally Oops. Kirkland for Anna, Holly Hunter for Broadcast News, and Glenn Close for Fatal Attraction. Oh, that's some heavy hitters there. 
Uh, I mean, honestly, if I looking back with like 30, 40 years of retrospection, uh, Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction is a pretty iconic performance. Yeah. Um, but so is Sharon Moonstruck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I think? You know what I think? This is the last year that the mafia ran Hollywood and they had to give it to Cher. <laughs> the, mo- the mob. Oh, God. Cher's not even Italian. She's Armenian. It was, was funny. Say, I mean, something funny about this movie is a lot of the main cast were not Italian. So uh, Cher's not Italian. Uh, uh, the mother, uh, Rose, uh, uh, Rose, uh, who's played by Olivia Dukakis, she's Greek. She's um, so good. Oh, she's so good. She, she, she also won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress for her role. She's for this? phenomenal. Yeah. That I think that I will fight for. Yeah, that no, I, she's, I, I, she's yeah. I'll agree with that. <laughs> Do you love him? Yes. Oh, <laughs> Awfully. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> The best, the best line I think in this movie comes from the old man at the end. Oh, I'm confused. I'm confused. It's so good. He's also it's not so Italian. Good. He's he's uh, the son of a famous Russian opera singer. Oh, so he's Russian. Oh, my, my... I, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You, you first. I was just gonna say another one of my favorite lines, which is every line in this movie, is um, when he comes to when Cosmo comes home and Rose is like, "I just want to say, no matter what you do or where you go." You're gonna die like everybody else. It is so funny and so, but also really cutting. I love that part. His response to it was, "Thank you." Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Rose. The dogs are my favorite part of this movie. Yeah, the dogs are good. La Luna, La Luna. I just I figured out if you want to speak Italian. Adiamo, adiamo. Adiamo, La Luna. You just say La Luna over a bellissimo La Luna. Luna Bella. It's <laughs> <laughs> so Italian, but none of them are. Oh, that's another reason why I like this movie. I am, oh, I'm going to get really annoying for a second. I um, am a, my cancer sign. The planet, planet is the moon. Um, so I really just latched onto that as an identity at a young age. And I've always really loved just the moon and the romance of it and songs about it and movies about it. So that's it I was love like, the it moon. was a little well, the moon's me. a huge part of a lot of cultural mythology, and I mean, obviously, the moon is a big part of our the way our our, our world functions. Um, but also, you know, the moon's not a planet, right? No, I know that's why I put it. You couldn't see it if you're just listening. Oh, the planet like, quotes. Did air quotes, but that's not my fault. I didn't decide that. That's Whoever fair. that's fair. They ran out of planets and they got to cancer, and they were like, "I don't know, get the moon." Sure. There's only there's only eight, there's only seven planets, and there's the moon's the best. There's twelve moon. signs. The moon is superior to all other planets, so or okay. all. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm just. Uh, and I also want to love under the light of like Mercury. You know. That's true. That's fair. It, it, the moon is way more romantic than Mercury. Yeah. I don't know, but what about Venus, though? Venus is pretty romantic. Barely see it. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also want to point out uh, John Patrick Shanley is also not Italian, who wrote the script. Mm. He's, he's He comes from an Irish family. I, I, I jokingly said to Sarah uh, as we were watching, I was like, this movie's kind of racist, making fun of Italian people like this. And then, and now that I'm hearing that the, none of them are Italian, it is kind of it's kind of racist. <laughs> so, so yeah, so John Patrick Shanley grew up in New York with an Irish family, and around he grew up in a neighborhood around a lot of Italians, 
um, and like was like would grow up and be like, why can't our family be like that? <laughs> you know, like I wish my, our family was like that. Uh, and so he has like he grew up with like kind of like a, a love and an appreciation for like Italian American culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, I can't remember the actress's name, but one of them uh, was um, Italian, and she like hold on a second. There we go. My computer became unplugged. Uh, one and uh, the the aunt, the aunt was Italian, and oh. she like was also served as a dialect coach for everybody. So like helped everybody learn their lines. Even recorded all of Cher's lines, tape recorded them. It just like gave like what like the sound of it would be in an Italian accent. Recorded the whole script for her and let her like listen to it so she could like match the cadence mm. and like the the sounds. So there's a little Italian representation in here. Uh, Bobo. Bobo is maybe the best character. Bobo. <laughs> the waiter. Bobo. Yeah. Bobo. <laughs> Bobo. Uh, but anyway, uh, my feelings on Moonstruck, I'm kind of in between you two in that I think it's, I like a lot of it. It definitely feels very much like a play, which makes sense because it was written by somebody who traditionally is a playwright. Um, uh, so I definitely, it, it, it felt... The dialogue was really snappy and a lot of like the, the enjoyment of it comes out of the characters just being themselves. As far as the plot goes, I just, I just, I just saw a lot of meat on that bone, which is fine. Not that all movies need that. When you're um, a wolf, you don't need a lot of meat. <laughs> I just found a, a lot of it to, to be just, I don't know. Um, these people are messy. That's all. It's just like it's a little frustrating how messy these people are, <laughs> and then how quickly they're just like ah whatever. But you know, life is about being messy. We're not put on this earth to be perfect. Is that what it's about? <laughs> Did we figure That's it out? We are here to destroy ourselves. <laughs> All right. First, if we're if 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 Megan wants to broach the subject, I mean, let's ask the of question. What it's about? Yeah, what's right. it about? So yeah. Megan, why don't yeah. you go ahead and ask? Um, Ricky, Ricky. Okay. What is Moonstruck? What's it about? Okay. So for me, the thing that I got the most out of this movie, I was watching these characters and like, there's a, there is a sense of kind of a little bit of cynical at the beginning, a little bit of like cynicism in it in that life is really, really hard. And some people just get the short end of the stick on things. And that can cause you to kind of just like throw your hands up in the air and say, whatever. Um, And kind of bury your head in the sand a little bit and just grind it out until it's over without really allowing yourself to feel or to dream or to want it's just easier to not have these aspirations or expectations for your life because if you don't meet them, you can't be destroyed by that. And so for me, it's about taking your head out of the sand and allow your life to – and allow what you want to be illuminated. Like bring what you want into the light basically. Um, 
because I think a lot of these characters are unhappy and they are just burying that unhappiness and being like, okay, well, it is what it is, so there's no point. And that's really sad. And I think this movie is like under the slide of this magical moon, right, is when like all this like magic happens. Uh, this ability to see maybe a happier existence. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. at least at the very at the very least, your life is not going to get better unless you express that you're unhappy. Right. Or yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, uh, and I, so that's what I that's what I got out of this. It's like mm-hmm. these characters are just burying the fact that they're not happy, and they nothing can ha- change for them until they admit that they're unhappy. Yeah, and I I think a part of that I like that it seems to also be about how other people can like help us either uphold the illusions we need about ourselves in our life or they can break them down when they're really necessary. Mm-hmm. Like they can help us see the truth of things right. and then also kind of help build, you know, we build our own reality that other people can help us reinforce the things that we need mm-hmm. in our understanding of ourselves. Right. Well, we need that special you know, again, this is like about like this special moon, right? This moon, this yeah. big moon that they have, and it's special. It has some kind of power. It's so beautiful, and it's like sometimes you need somebody to come in and shine a light on on your on you to show you, hey, don't you see that you're not happy? Um, yeah, and it's like some people I don't think are very attuned to themselves as far as like what they're actually feeling. I'm one of those people, honestly. I I I once said this to to my roommate. Um, I'm not depressed. I'm just obsessed with my own unhappiness, well. which is like I'm not like like I'm. There's a dissatisfaction with where I am in my life. That in general, I'm just kind of always thinking about how like dissatisfied I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like a depression. It's just a general disappointment constantly. Um, and that's, I, so I connect a lot with Cher in this movie and in the way that Cher's like, look, I just have had bad luck in my life. And so there's like, there's no reason to try, try and make things better because it's just going to go bad anyway. That's I, yeah, I also really identify with Cher in this movie because I am like, a very fantastical and idealistic and romantic person. I think deep, deep, deep down. Um, and even like kind of surface level, but like, I don't know. I'm also very, when it comes to those romantic situations or any like, you know, big dream or whatever, I tend to like when it's actually happening, kind of like step back a little bit and mm. then be the more practical one. You're very, though, like, you're very practical. Even though deep down, I would love to be, you know, I would love to make a Nicolas Cage style speech. <laughs> Um, just like Cher, like, I think deep down she is romantic and she is, she believes in the moon and she believes in like the magic of Cosmo's moon and all of that stuff. Humans are perfect. Snowflakes are perfect. Stars are perfect. (laughs) I like it because I I just would, I I mean, everybody would love a big romantic like speech to be made, but I like it because it's nice to be able to think that like somebody will come along and just be like, you know what? Let yourself be. It does. It's fine. Like, let it fall apart. Let it be messy. It'll be fine. Get in my bed. (laughs) I don't love that line. I want, you know, he didn't, I want you to get in my bed. (laughs) 
That's what I want. Her exasperation in the first scene where she's like, all right, take me to the bed. Okay. Okay. Do whatever you want to me. Take out your revenge on me. It's so good. It's so Till I'm just no, skin and bones. <laughs> I definitely relate to Cher in that way of like she Whoa. Is, not in that way. I mean well, I mean, whatever. Yeah, but whatever. in the way of like her being like deep down romantic, but life is just kind of like practical. <coughs> she has to live her life and like take care of her family and you know, she's been burned before and things haven't worked out. Her husband got hit by a bus. Like that's yeah. Her life seems very stressful. She packs, she, she does the books for the mafia, you know? So. (laughs) Kind of. They're rich in New York. Like they're old money in New York. So there's something going on. They have a house. They have a whole house in New York. Johnny gave her her pinky ring. Do you know what that means? He didn't have a ring. (laughs) The, The pinky ring is, is the, means they're a made man. If they got the pinky ring, they're a made man. He's a plumber. Uh, oh no, Cosmo's a plumber. Yeah, Cosmo's a plumber. Yeah. What is what's his face do? What is Johnny? Johnny or Ronnie? No, we Ronnie? don't know. Ronnie, Ronnie is he he works at a bakery. No. Ronnie works at a bakery, yes. But Johnny, Johnny's going to Sicily. Ronnie, I mean. No. But that, like, going back to that part, that proposal part, like, I was like, I get why she would say yes. It's not romantic, even though, like, I would prefer a more romantic proposal. But it's, you know, you'll be secure. You'll be taken care of. You'll like him enough. Like, and there's some truth to what her mom says. That's like, if you love him, you kind of, you let him get away with too much. Yes. And we've talked about this on the show before. I've had my fair share of, like, romantic uh disappointments and i know seth has too and it does make you very cynical Mm. in love like i used to be i i it's a i think my nature is to be like you like you said megan to be very romantic my nature is that um but because of experience i i tamper that down so much yeah. To the point where it's almost non-existent at this point. And so like, like overcorrect. Yes. Because because yeah. like being that like open and like to flight of fancy and to magic and to all that stuff like leads to harsh reminders that it like magic, quote unquote, not in like the term of like real magic, but like serendipity in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and coincidence and luck. These ephemeral things that do exist in a way. I think luck does exist. I think serendipity exists. I wouldn't say magic necessarily, but like chance. Kiz- kismet. Kismet. Yeah. That I think I think that exists. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. but it's rare. Mm-hmm. It that's why it's so special, you know? Uh and I think a lot of people think that it just happens a lot and it, and I don't think it does. Um, and no. so that's tough. That leads you open to being disappointed and hurt a lot. <laughs> and and I, I definitely get why you're right. Like why she would settle for something that's that's easy and something that's comfortable <clears throat> and something that's not risky. Yeah, because if you love them, they drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of that one Joni Mitchell lyric um, from last time I saw Richard, where like Cher very much reminds me of that line where he or she says, um, "God." It's like you haven't really changed 
now you're romanticizing the pain that's in your head. Like a romantic, like a jaded romantic is just going to take that and like romanticize that pain and like really go all in on that and be like just an extremist version of that because that's they're still doing it. It's just the flip side of it. And she reminds me of that where she like very clearly is still that like fantastical, but now it's in this like jaded kind of like faded way. She's like, this is my life. This is what it has to be. Mm. You know, that's what it makes me think of. Yeah, it's yeah, and it, 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 so many of the characters are experiencing that same thing of like the dad is also going through that where obviously he's not happy in in his life, and so he's seeking other ways of bringing himself some type of instant gratification with the, his affair, and even the mom has a has a moment of that where it's all she almost succumbs to that same thing, and so it. it Do you think Cosmo's sleeping with her? Yes. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if I don't know if he is. I I, I think I feel like almost it's almost wow. like a just just a like just like a flirtatious dating relationship. Like I I don't know if I don't know if he's done the deed. Yeah, there's I, a part of it that seems like strangely not wholesome. It's it's an affair, but you know, there's like um. Like a weird innocence to yeah, it. Yeah, like the way they kiss in the car, it's like this little like. Mm, yeah. It's more about the the romance of the dating than it is the the sexual interaction. I feel like. Oh yeah, that's I, a good point. I don't know. I I mean, <laughs> when he gives her the bracelet, the look that she gives him, well, I don't know. That for me, like, was like a, a look of of like, you're gonna get it, like. <laughs> Yeah. Like you got me this really nice bracelet and like, mm-hmm. like, you know, mm. you know what I mean? Um, to me, it just, it felt too casual and too intimate to not have gone that to that point. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm still in my feels about what this movie's about. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. Kick it around uh, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's about the, f- Fear of death. <laughs> why do men chase women? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe because they're afraid of death. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think that's not totally inaccurate for this film. Um, I think there's something. I think, I think we're in this constant fight with ourselves for a, lo- a loss of control versus having control, you know? And it's like, there's, there's definitely a desire in all of us that we just want to be completely overcome with instinct and not think, you know, uh, I, I, I personally am like trying to get out of my own head all of the time. And so like that moment with, uh, Cher and Nicholas Cage, like the first time they like hook up or whatever like that. I think we all want that mm-hmm. at some point. Uh, we want to feel just completely overtaken by the moment. And I think that's important. I think that's big, but the reason I'm kind of like a little confused or I'm not sure what the final message is of this film because Cher and Nicholas Cage get together 
which feels right. You know, like they follow their instinct, they follow their passion, but then we see Cosmo and Rose and it's like, they're clearly unhappy, but they're choosing to stay in the marriage. And like that last moment with Cosmo is very strange to me. I find it very strange where he slams down and then he's like, okay. And like, clearly he's still not happy. I don't, can I, I understand what you're saying totally. I don't know that they're unhappy. I mean, clearly something's wrong because he's looking outside of the marriage and she's like considering it too. But I think there's a part of like the appeal of that scene with Cher and Nicolas Cage, like their first, like when they first sleep together is the part before that like ridiculous, you know, back and forth where they, they both see each other. Like people, we all want to be like swept away in that feeling, but we also all want to be like really seen. Like we kind of want somebody at least personally to be like in a truthful way, not in like a, you know, I think a lot of the time people do that and they're like projecting their own stuff on you. They're, I don't know, but they, they seem to really see each other. And I think Cosmo and Rose also really see each other. I think her calling him out and being like in front of everybody, like you have to stop seeing her and him being honest with her back. I think a part of that is what they were looking for too, just for the other one to really see, to see them for the first time in a while. I, yeah, I think for me, I, I totally get what you're saying. Cause like their problems aren't solved at the end of this movie. Like Cher, Cher and, and Nicholas Cage get together, you know, uh, uh, Loretta and, and Ronnie, which is like, yeah, we can celebrate that that worked out. But like a lot of the other relationships in this movie are, are still kind of in a weird place by the end of the movie. I think. I like a lot of what Megan's saying. And I think for me, it's like they were both unhappy in their, in this relationship at the point they were at, but they both were like trying to hide it. Right. Like she knew something was going on and he obviously was doing something he knew he shouldn't be doing. Maybe there's some guilt about it. It's hard to say that character Cosmo in general is pretty stoic. So it's kind of it's kind of tough to like really know how much like he feels bad about what he's doing, or if it's just because he's so cynical at that point, he's just so unhappy that he's just numb to it. But I yeah, think... he seems pretty unhappy. Yeah. Like even even the way he like shuts it down at the end yeah. feels like I'm just gonna stop talking. Like yeah. like I'm gonna let you do. I'm gonna let you be upset at me and. And I'm not, I'm not going to vent my unhappiness. I'm just going to let, I'm just going to do what you tell me to. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like that hit me weird. That hits me weird. So for me, it's, their story's not over. Their story is going to continue as far as like what happens to that marriage. It may not make it. They may end up getting divorced. I don't know. They're kind of traditional people or they, they just may end up living their life and like not being happy in their marriage. But I think what the movie is trying to get at here is at least it's out in the open now. I've Rose has expressed that she's unhappy with what's going on. She's not like trying to like subterfuge it. She's, it's not being like, it's not being like tiptoed around anymore. It's like, Hey, 
I know what's going on and you, this needs to stop. I'm mm-hmm. unhappy with this. Mm-hmm. And he acknowledges I'm unhappy too. Oh, and like, just cause he says, okay, there, I agree. He's not saying everything he wants to say there. But again, the fact that now that it's out in the open and both of them have acknowledged that they're both unhappy, there's an avenue forward or there, or they could decide later on to say like, okay, maybe this is enough. Maybe we're just not. I, I don't, I don't think they're going to get a divorce. That's just not the. Tr- I don't think so either. So hopefully yeah. the avenue forward is we're both unhappy. Let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I think, I think that the reason men chase women, uh, like I'm going to use the a reflexive property here. So it, it is the fear of death, but that also means that men want to feel alive, right? Like there's a huge, there's huge part of, of the hunt, if you will, uh, that is like, I guess, part of instinct or whatever that like, it makes men feel alive to pursue women. And so I think if you, if you're, if you're, if like Cosmo is missing something, you know what I mean? He's missing the hunt. He's missing the, that pursuit, the chase, you know? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of like proliferating here, but I think that is a huge part of, that would be the reflexive property of men fear death, right? But men also don't want to die alone. <laughs> so it's like, it's like this weird catch 22, right? What? what? Why is that problematic? Why is that problematic? It's, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I was saying because of the, I just know a lot of men who cannot, and this is a generalization completely. Um, but there are, in my personal experience, a lot of men who cannot be alone for longer than like two months for whatever reason. And it, I, I don't know why maybe it is that like, they don't want to, they don't want to die alone. They want to feel alive that like pursuit thing. But I do think it's interesting that I don't know. I just, the women in my life are fine being alone. The men I know can't, not all of them, but a lot of them feel the need to immediately like, find someone else, get back. And like, it just, I think they're afraid of themselves a little bit and like being alone with themselves, which is maybe the better avenue toward feeling alive than like finding it in other people who are going to disappoint you because that's not what they can give you. I, I don't disagree with you, but. Wait, the noise was a frustration in, in, um, <laughs> you know, in most men. That's what that noise was. It wasn't. you. I, I'm just, I, I would, you know, it's so hard to talk about biological instinct in this day and age, you know, like it's not easy to be like, yeah, men are like animals. <laughs> but they're not. But they're, they are to a degree. They are. No, no I disagree. Oh, I just- we are still, we are still human beings. Your desire to be taken, taken by Nicolas Cage and thrown in the bed. That is an animal instinct. Okay. That- I guess. Okay, yeah, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ricky, Ricky's left the room. He's like far, far away. I worry about the yes. We all have 
those like I guess animalistic is a word for it instinct I just worry about when that is framed in a way that excuses if uh like inhumane or violent behavior because I think I'm not saying that's okay but I'm not saying any of that's okay right but there is this instinct that men want to pursue I'm not they should pursue it in a consensual way that's not yeah. that's not the argument. The argument is is that men have this desire that's really hard to like tame. And that's the wolf, you know. But Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's express this. Let's express this. I just want But women have the wolf too and we don't we don't frame it that way. How are you framing it? I'm not framing it. What's it? No, it's, it's, I I don't know. I, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I think we are, I, I, like, personally, I think our society has gotten to an arrogant place when it comes to uh, the expectation. Like, I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive. It, this is, I got to be very delicate here. I, we need to acknowledge that we are biological beings and that we want things instinctually that we can't help. You know what I mean? Like there is like, we're not robots. You know what I mean? Like we're not these people that can just compartmentalize all of our shit into like, into these little neat boxes in our brain Eventually, there's gonna be a, a share Nicolas Cage take me moment if that's the way you are. I, I think, I think, which is what we all want, right? Like, but that's instinct. That's that's this ah feeling. But there's also a self-preservation instinct. Yeah, yeah. Which, and also like a, an instinct toward empathy and um, not that you know what you're saying is not empathetic, but like toward like to just like give in to whatever instinct there is. I think people also have that, like the thing that's fighting back is like, well, what are the consequences for myself, for the people that I love? Like all of those things come together. I, I think there is a, a, a through line here, or a connect to like what we're talking about with Princess Mononoke, Right. It's the fear of living versus the fear of death or the desire to live, you know, and, and part of living is following instinct, you know, but following instinct could lead to death. So it's this reflexive nature, right? Like the, the speech that Cher gives when she's like, no, no, I can make choices. I can say yes and say no. And, and, and I, 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 I agree that she has the right to do so, but it's not, but that I think in that speech, she's fooling herself a little bit. Like, I think she's, she will be overtaken by instinct. By the moon. By the moon. Like, yeah. So it, so, I mean, I, yeah, like. Yeah. She's very clearly trying to convince herself in that scene. Yeah. 
when she's trying to convince him. Yeah, you, what you like about this movie is the argument you're making against. Like, no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. I like that it, it it like talks. I don't know. It's I like that it addresses like that desire and that like that need to be romantic and give in to those those feelings but also how hard it is to do that with and how sometimes you you can't but i do like that at the end that like that fairy tale little story like plays out and they get to be together i think it's i don't know unrealistic (laughs) i think it is unrealistic but that's why i like it yeah because that's what you want that's your instinct that's your you know like that's well, I, I think I think what we're what we're drilling into here, if I could if I could hop in, yeah. is the that's the argument of this movie. You know, movies are built on present a, th- a thematic, and and then the movie is argues on all sides, and then lands somewhere of what the person who's telling the story feels, but doesn't necessarily mean that's what it is. It just is like this is how I feel about it, and so it's, this film I think is arguing this fact of like risk. And letting yourself get swept up in the magic of something. Because Loretta, throughout the whole film, is trying to fight the desire. Trying to fight this getting swept up in this magical feeling that she had years ago Mm -hmm. with her first husband. And it didn't, the magic does not last and the magic did not, does not work out. You know, she, because that first marriage, she's like, I fell in love with a guy. We... We didn't have a lot of money. We got married. We just went to the courthouse and just did it and had bad luck in the rest of our two-year marriage. And then he died. <laughs> he got hit by a bus. And so, like, for her, this, this like, he was, magic He was executed is by the mafia. That's what yes. that is. <laughs> the mafia controls the bus system in New York City. Everybody knows He's that. struck into Goodfellas. It, always, it reminds me of that Robin Williams joke from Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> he was a he was very fond of the drink. It was the drink that killed him. Oh, he was an alcoholic. No, he was hit by a Guinness truck. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it, she has already done this thing once where she got swept up in love and magic and didn't care about any of the other circumstances around her. Didn't care that she didn't have a big wedding, didn't care that she didn't follow tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh which is now she's so superstitious about. And the magic failed her. And so this movie is an argument about do you let yourself get swept up in the magic? Is it worth yeah. it? That's what this movie is asking. Uh, yeah. and, and so I think like both of your both of your points are, are are correct, Seth, where it's like, do you let is it is is life worth is it worth risking your life for this instinctual primal feeling? of lust and drive and magic well or is it or is it better to be safer i really relate to the speech nick cage gives uh in this like the snow or whatever where he's Mm -hmm. like there's no future there's no past all that is is right now you know and uh i think like i you know we talked improv is something I do. And, and the point of improv is to like be in as much in the moment as possible. And I think that there's a lot more going on 
between people all the time that's not spoken about mm -hmm. and and what we want is to feel that thing in the moment the truth of that really to the ultimate extreme which is love making right like and and so it's just so so rare that you can that that feeling is so powerful that and and it, that two people just give into it um and most people most people check it you know and uh and that's probably that's smart it is self preservation instinct i i'm thinking about a specific instance in my life where uh, I met somebody that, that, that feeling was like insane, like the craziest thing I've ever felt in my whole life. And it was, it, it, there was no way it wasn't like, it was just there. It was just like sitting there for, for both of us, but they were in a position that could not acknowledge that feeling. And, uh, that was really hard because it was like very confusing, you know? to feel that powerful of a feeling and then it be ignored. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying no, to. I, I totally get, I totally understand. I, I, we, I talked about this when we did our boogie nights episode about my uh, experience with my last serious uh, girlfriend uh, and how like we had, we had that moment where like, she was like really trying to drop hints to me to like make a move and i was just like i was denying i was like no i'm misreading this uh i i i must be i'm getting carried away and i'm reading into things that aren't there and so i just kept denying 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 until she made it so clear that she just made the move for me right and and it was one of those moments of like that nick that K nicholas k share moment where she just like Again, just like pinned me against the wall basically and just like went for it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It was one of those like, whoa, this is just instinctual and and primal and like we're just so attracted to each other that it can't – we it's happening right now kind of thing. So I, I have felt that for sure. But to, to, <laughs> to directly go against something Megan said <laughs> about, about guys – about men, certainly. Uh, it's been a long time for me since I've had any type of relationship. Quite some time. So, I mean, but that's also because I'm in this, like, zone, like I was talking about, where I relate to Cher's character very much, where I've had a lot of disappointments here in this area. And so I'm super duper cautious. And I... A lot of it is, you know, we've, we've talked about before, a lot of it is a fear of, like, putting myself out there, but a lot of it is also a fear of, like, imposing on others and things like that. But, like, but genuinely, it's, for me, it is a fear of, like, wow, like, so many times you've, you've put yourself out there, it's, like, not worked out very well for you. And so, like, it has to, you, I have to really, really, really feel, like, comfortable in order to allow myself to even like risk anything. Mm -hmm. It's ironic that you chose this film because 
this is kind of like a lot of the themes that we've been talking about recently. Mm-hmm. Like, like instinct versus like following your instincts, not being afraid to follow your instincts. What if you follow your instincts too much and you become a predator? Like these, these recurring themes of like, of how do you balance? I hate that I use the word balance. Because that's Ricky. the theme that's of the Ricky's show. Like, that's Ricky. It's not the theme of the show. It's a part of the show. It's a part of the show. That's what it's about. It's not about <laughs> balance. Is part of what it's about. And that's our show for today. <laughs> <laughs> balance is the result of what's it about, not what's it about. It's the chicken or the egg. I think what I've been thinking about while you guys are talking about this is it's. This is going to sound very dumb. It's a movie. So you remove the what? In I know, I know. Hold on. In real life, there can be that intense. I and this is me. This is me being beginning of the movie. Share. In real life, there can be that like intense attraction and that instinct, but that is not. And this is not really what you guys are talking about. But my first thought, just because of you know the world we live in, that feeling is not consent necessarily because there can be that attraction that mutual like yes we want to do this but the other person can still be like no so because of whatever because of they're in a relationship they are in a weird place they just don't want to so it's it's more comp i know i keep doing this but it's more complicated than that and i you can't really ignore that yeah like in the movie you can because you're like okay you guys both want to do this clearly in real life it gets a lot more gray um that's so that's so so true i mean that's what i was thinking growing up growing up in like high school and things like that i think in 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 media the thing is like you the person the person goes in for just goes in for the kiss right if they Mm -hmm. feel it they they go for it right (laughs) and like the rhetoric when i was growing up is you don't ask to kiss the person because that because that ruins the the moment right right if you Mm -hmm. stop the the feeling to be like hey like can i kiss you right now that like is not sexy right mm. that's what the rhetoric was i'm not saying that that's what fact was i'm but saying that's, that's yeah, what everybody yeah. told me growing yeah. up you don't stop to ask you just go for mm. it right you know when well, you know when the right moment you, you know when it's right. the right moment like you feel it right when yeah. you, you, but like but then again there's so many moments that we're learning now where people are misreading things or, or they're not even taking into account what the other person might, the signals the other person is sending. They are only taking into account the way they feel. Right. Yeah. And so the new rhetoric is like, it is sexy and it is the right thing to ask first before like, Hey, I think Megan disagrees. See, see, (laughs) see, this is still an argument. Cause like, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry, Ricky. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's what, that's what I'm saying is like this. There's there, you're right in real life. It's very, very confusing and complicated because like, yeah, because we have like this, this way of approaching things now where a lot of people are saying that you always, always, always ask first. And then there are other people who disagree and like it's like, it's okay. It's about, it's complicated and it makes this, that whole that all the circumstances surrounding the moment when you want to kiss a person it makes it very very complicated and confusing yeah yeah Go and ahead, this is where i i'm very i feel like when i have i don't know i feel sometimes like a bad feminist when i think about this because my 
love of romantic comedies and all the tropes that make them, they feel like they don't align with feminist ideas and discourse. And I very much, I love consent, obviously. (laughs) Like we need to talk more about consent. We need it to be like obvious. We're going to put that uh, 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 in, in, in big, bold quotes. We love consent. We love consent. I, uh, but there's not, but there's also a part of me that grew up watching these things and reading these things. And in real life, if somebody asks to kiss me before they kiss, it does kind of ruin it a little bit. Like I, in theory, absolutely. In practice, I'm like, oh, like it's we're in the moment it's, and it's so complicated it's not and i'm very at war with myself about those things again and it's about i i will i will yes that is what this movie's about but i'm going to well i i think like i said our society is over logicking these things and but maybe- I, well i don't know i mean I, I i think the conversation is necessary i think that we did need as a culture to address a lot but at the same time, there's a we've been we've been making babies for a long time. You know what I mean? And 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 there is there is a emotional feeling that is consent in the moment that you can you can feel. And sometimes you get it wrong and you gotta stop. You know, like that's definitely the like you should. But I'm saying is like the things you love about these romantic comedies are the fact that you can't explain or wrangle love. You know, you can't wrangle this instinct. And that's that's what that's what you love about them. Because you're overthinking like we all have to overthink love in this day and age and overthink it. What's the right thing to do, but we can all feel it. Like. I don't. Yeah. I think overthinking is a word for it. I think maybe also just like thinking like critically about our, these movies and, and how we understand our relationship dynamics in general. I think maybe it's necessary to go too far in the, like the logical direction in order to get to a place that's more, we maybe need to overcorrect because things have been so fucked up for so long in real life. So I, I could make the case for, for both sides of like, you know, maybe we should, uh, I don't know, bring a little bit of the magic back. And also maybe we should like look at things very, you know, practically. Both make sense. I don't think there's anything practical about love. Like, I, I don't, I mean, I like, I might sound like Nicolas Cage here, but <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, like there's nothing like love sucks. Love is hard. Love is, doesn't make any sense. If it's real, it doesn't make sense. It's real. Something we talked about earlier, I think was like, Megan, you brought up this idea of like certain people, like why is it that like certain men feel like they need to be constantly like in pursuit of a partner? And I think something that we're kind of missing and we kind of touched on a little bit is like societally speaking and like even evolutionarily speaking like young men are conditioned to believe like their masculinity is wrapped up in if they have a partner or not like their their manhood obtain one yes right like you you if you're a single man 
you are less of a man than a man who has a person. Correct. Um, and not only, not only, here's what's even more. This this makes me angry. If you're a single man, you are now a threat to society because you're on the prowl. Like, if you're a single man, there is this attitude towards you that oh, you're a bad person, which is like, like you're gonna, you're a scoundrel, sir. It. I mean, yeah. you better watch out for him. He's single. Watch out for but men I, who aren't single. It's like that thing. I once heard somebody. You know that that um, people think that like when men have an engagement ring on, like they get hit on more. Like women are more likely to like mm. you know the minute you put the ring on, suddenly every girl wants you. And it's not that. It's just that you're. They see the ring and you're. They're like, oh, okay, I'm this safe. For a threat, yeah. So they're just talking to you. Like, like a well, that's person. that thing about like mixed signals, right? It's like, again, sometimes I worry, I worry in this show, and I'm gonna express a very real fear here uh, that sometimes I might come off very incelly, which you know, um, I don't think you do. I appreciate the that. I think you're great. Thank you're you. Good. Uh, but genuinely, I think there's a very different attitude of an incel. That's fair. Yeah. But even just in the in the literal version of the term, involuntarily celibate, like yes, that I fall into that group. Um, however, like talking about signals and things and like misreading things, like I think that's like something that happens a lot. It's like I think men don't get that same kind of attention that women get in general, as far as like romantic pursuit, romantic pursuit. Right. Like how often, maybe this is different for you, Seth, maybe once in my life was I the person that somebody else was pursuing. You know what I mean? And so like that kind of like sexual, romantic, physical validation is rare. And so, I think sometimes men, like like you said, there's a misconception that men get hit on more once they're taken, right? And it's like, no, we're people are just more comfortable around you because they that like they think that that area of in social interaction is off the table and therefore does not have to be tiptoed around. You know, it just makes an ease of conversation and an ease of of being more personable and i think it's so easy for uh for someone like me to misinterpret that as flirting because it's like oh this person is more comfortable with me than most people i talk to maybe they like me you know and it's not like like yeah they might like you as a person you know like you platonically but it's easy to get that oh this feels extra right this feels like more than usual because you're wanting it, you're looking because, for it. Because yes, because you're because you because yes, and it's just it just feels different, right? Yeah, it does not feel like the normal day to day interaction that you usually have, and so it's very easy to get that misinterpreted and to to get wrapped up in the magic of it of like oh I think I'm feeling a thing, mm-hmm. and it's just it is tough because you're right like uh, we, we have to we have to feel the field and like feel like okay i feel the magic i feel this ephemeral this esoteric amorphous thing i feel it but i can't lose control 
every time that it comes around. Like yeah. they can't, you can't blind like, you can't blindly trust that because you need to know well, that you're that you're fa- a fallible person. It, it's almost like as a man, you have to like you feel it, and then you have to ignore it as long as you possibly can, because if you overdo it, then it's like too much, you know. Well, I think for I think for me, it's like if you like you <laughs> can feel it. I, 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 this is gonna be quick. You can feel it, but then I think you have to just have to like reflect reflect on it a little bit like you can't just like let yourself every time you feel it you can't just like let yourself just like fully like release into that i think you do need to be like because again you are a human being you are you are capable of of your feelings feelings are not rational right feelings are illogical and so you don't always know why you're feeling a particular way it might be because there is a genuine attraction or because there are signals and chemistry and all that stuff. It might be that. Or, like you said, it could be because you're trying to manufacture it. And, like, you need to – you do need to at, at that in, at that very instant where you can feel those things. I do think there needs to be a moment of processing of, whoa, okay, what's going on here? Um, because – because it is, I think, dangerous sometimes to just let yourself get wrapped up in things. I think that moment is a good thing. I think like being, I, I never want it to sound like, okay, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. It's hard. This is hard. You're having a, you're having a Seth moment. (laughs) My first thought, and this is, this is my own hearing it said that way. And I know I just would like to take a moment to make space for the fact that I'm, I'm sure it is. I, I respect the fact that that sucks to be looked at as a, a predator, but also it sucks to feel like you're the prey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just want to, I just want to give voice to that because yes, that that's, it's hard for me to even out those plights uh, to give as much weight to that sounds shitty to what you're saying as all the women I know who either have been the prey or have felt like the prey. Like it's, this is a difficult conversation for me to be in. And I, I don't want to disrespect what you're saying. Cause I, I, I would hate to be, you know, I, I think that's valid that you guys are when this, a man is single. Like I definitely, if I'm making friends with a man and he's like, I have a girlfriend, I'm like, oh, okay, good. Like there's nothing weird here. There can't be anything weird here. We're talking about men who have been dominated also by other men their entire lives. And that, that's, that I do respect that that sucks, but not, but I'm sorry. I respect that that sucks. It again is just hard for me to not be like very defensive about all of the women I know. No, And that's, and that's, I think, I think, I absolutely agree with you. And I think even the way that we talk about like courtship yeah. has inherently to use Seth's word predatory and like animalistic verbiage. Like, like we right, even right. said it earlier, like when you're single, you're on the hunt. Like there is a predator prey verbiage that we use to pursuing a partner. 
mm-hmm. know, and 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 you know, or like when you when you do hook up with somebody, it's like I scored, right? Like I yeah. I got something out of that. I it the way we talk about courtship is inherently about like this the verbiage we use has in in inside it a a hunter and hunted kind of viewpoint which is which is like you said it's kind of fucked up in that way yeah and i feel like the only way to kind of find a solution where everybody feels safe in these situations is to like i i think honestly we have to like i said overcorrect to get back to a point like how do you think that like genuinely i'm asking mm-hmm. how how would you like to be perceived when like looking for a partner and how do you think we could get to a place in the world where like that's possible because I think it is absolutely possible. I think we're on our way there, but I just like what kind of conversations. I, I always, I always wish we all had like a green or a red light over our heads. <laughs> yeah. That just was like I'm open or not open yeah. at all times. Like, uh, but uh, I mean, I think it's, I think, I think we are doing a better job of defining in our culture how to pursue these things. Um, I think I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm like really deeply like trying to, I, I got like, it's one of those things where I, I, I have feelings and I'm trying to process them. Um, yeah. it's, you're asking, you're asking, how do we move forward with human instinct. Uh, I had, I had this idea. I don't know if I I think it's kind of, it works. Um, I had this idea to do this experiment. Um, and it's kind of building on an old experiment that, uh, I had Ricky that you know about where what I was going to do was I was going to take a bunch of like headshots and, uh, ask people to rank by attractiveness uh, the people in the pictures and part of the joke would be that my picture would be like every few pictures. <laughs> so they would have to like in front of me, but that, that's just for the bit. But, uh, what I want to point out or like something I'm fascinated by is like, at what point of attractiveness does it become romantic versus cringe? So it's like doing something romantic is romantic if it's if the other person is open to that romance from you but it's not if they're not open to that romance from you it's cringe yeah and that has more to do with attractive or more to do with i don't know i think it's not entirely based on how attractive the other person is like you could be open to a romantic gesture from someone who's not like objectively super attractive if you're attracted to them for i don't know they're just your type or they're funny or they're, you know, you have a connection or whatever. I think just attraction is not a great measure of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you don't know somebody and like, they like come up to you and are very like forward, of course. Yeah. Unfortunately. I mean, it's weird no matter what, actually. I think it is unless 
unless the stars align perfectly, like unless you're moonstruck, it's not gonna, okay. unless you're moonstruck, it's not gonna, you're gonna have to give a little bit of mm -hmm. grace to the person that uh, makes a romantic gesture. Yeah. Mm, and, and Megan, something that you said to me a few weeks ago really has struck and like stayed with me quite a bit. It's like sometimes the way I view courtship and like, you know, putting myself out there as far as like romantically, it's like, I'm not giving the other person a whole lot of agency and I'm not giving them enough respect to just like be able to react in a, in a, in a, in a rational and, and compassionate way even even mm. if they don't or even if they're like hey, look i'm not really interested which is okay uh mm -hmm. that you know they're not going to just like look at me as like this like horrible disgusting human being just for like presenting a how i feel about something yeah like i'm not giving yeah. them enough respect to just like be also be a compassionate human being mm -hmm. um most people i mean hopefully most people are. and that's what you hope yeah exactly that's what you hope for and that's really stuck with me since you said that uh, and has helped assuade some of my fears on, on those things. Not that I've necessarily acted on any of that yet, but it, it's made me more open to to trying that. Mm -hmm. But I think to answer your question, Megan, about like what would I want, I, you know, what, how would I want to like per, like be perceived? And to be honest, I just genuinely have no concept of what. I'm still so wrapped up in how I don't understand how how dating and flirting and courtship works at all, especially mm -hmm. in a in a in a scenario of someone I don't know, as in like asking out a person that I I've never met before, like at a in a social gathering, in a bar, any of that. Like that that is so that makes so zero sense to me. As far as like, I don't know how I would ever do that and how that I would ever succeed in that realm. That like the idea of like the way people would perceive me in this, in this context is, is so far outside of my understanding because I have no idea how, how I am currently perceived and I have no idea how it functions. Like, I don't know how people walk into a situation where they don't know anybody and then leave, like leave with a person they've never met before. That is... Right. That is beyond understanding to me how people do that because I could I don't think I I have the understanding of how that happens. Um, it's bizarre. So to, mm -hmm. to, I wouldn't even know where to begin on how like I would want others to perceive me in those situations because I don't understand how any of it works anyway. If that I'm makes trying sense. to connect, I I I resonate with what you're saying, Rick in a strange way. Seth, uh, I've seen you do that exact same thing. No, you've never seen me do it sober. That's fair. Oh, okay. So like for me, I, I have, I, my, my sober brain is very much like Ricky's and I like, I feel like I have, there's no logical way I could possibly enter into a right. scenario and convince you that you should sleep with me <laughs> like that, that, and that's like, I hate saying it like that, but that's what it, that's, that's what it feels like, you know, but get a few drinks in me. I throw out the logic and just go with the feeling and, yeah. and that, and that also is not good. You know what I mean? So it's like, how do I connect 
like I'm in a place where I have to figure out how to connect those dots. Like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in a relationship, but I, if I were single, I don't, I don't, I do not fathom that pursuit any longer. Like the math doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I've never understood it. I've never understood it. And also I like, I also don't drink very much. So like that, like shields down, uh, you know, kind of like just go for it and not have any of that kind of like judgment while it's happening. Uh, I mean, maybe that's like the missing variable. Not that I'm saying like that you should, like people should go out and drink and stuff like that. But like, I, I mean, genuinely, like I don't do that very much. I don't drink a whole lot, especially out in public uh, or in places that I'm unfamiliar with. Um, mm-hmm. And like, so maybe that is like the missing piece of like, just not giving a fuck and like being a little bit like having the shame level turned down a little bit, but I don't know. Like I said, I don't, I, I can't, I could not even venture to guess how others perceive me in those formats. And so I could not tell you how I would want to be perceived instead because I have no idea. I do know in general, I think people look at me almost asexually in that I kind of come off as like a teddy bear in a lot of ways. And teddy bears are asexual. You know, it's like, oh, that's neutral. Teddy bears are infamously asexual. Yes, they are. <laughs> well, but you know, what I mean? or, or, or I guess what I'm saying is like, they're like, they're neither masculine nor feminine. They are, yeah. they are so new gender neutral and sexually neutral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of people perceive me in that way. It is just like a, oh, this is neutral. This is a neutral mm-hmm. ground. So maybe that's it. Maybe I don't want to be perceived as just straight neutral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What were you going to say, Seth? Well, I think you've cultivated that in yourself a lot because of your job, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's, it's very, I don't know. I've, I've known you a long time, Rick, and I know, I know you're a, a, a guy that wants he wants things just like a lot of guys want things mm-hmm. you know what i mean but i think you have pushed that down in yourself because you're so concerned which i think is good you have so much concern mm-hmm. um but yeah i think you you need to suffice yourself grace and then hope hope others will as well you know mm-hmm. because you're if you don't, if you don't do that, you're never going to be moonstruck, you know? Mm. Uh, and, and I want to thank you, Megan. Uh, you are a very graceful human being, um, which I think, you know, I think these conversations are very important. Um, and it's hard to have them. Um, and we couldn't have them if you weren't as graceful as you are. So thank you for being that graceful. Thanks. Thanks for understanding what I'm saying and not, you know, well, thanks for understanding what we're saying, you know, yeah, yeah. we're the wolves. <laughs> it, it's, it's so com. It's so complicated. These types of discussions. And so it, it is nice to be able to freely do it and have, know that everybody in the conversation understands that everybody's intent is good and that if you know certain 
ways of saying things or certain ideas are put out there that it's like, okay, let's, let's approach that and break that down further so we can understand exactly where all that stuff comes from. So I think much respect to everybody in this conversation that we're able to have those types of discussions so openly. So thank you both. Um, and I honestly, I think that's a good place for us to end for today. Um, Seth and Megan, thank you so much for uh, talking about Moonstruck with me. Uh, Megan, thank you for bringing Moonstruck to us. Anytime. My hand! <laughs> <laughs> I just had, it's, it's stuck in my head forever. You're a so wolf. Funny. You're a wolf that wolf. gnawed off his own arm. <laughs> his own leg. I'm going to that ahead. So, you just going to quote it forever. Yep. Uh, so, we're uh, going to talk about uh, what is going on next week. So, what's next? Seth, what's next for us? It's your pick. You know what? We're going to do Mrs. Doubtfire. <gasps> I love Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> we got to fight back. We got to fight back. So, <laughs> Okay. So we're doing Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, 1993. I love this movie. It's one of my favorites. Uh, oh, my gosh. It's on so many services. So if you want to watch Mrs. Doubtfire with us, uh, you can check it out on Stars, Hulu, Sling TV, the Roku channel, Amazon Prime, Philo, or YouTube with a primetime subscription. Uh, if you want to rent it, pay to rent, you can rent it on Google Play Movies, Apple TV, Redbox, and Vudu. Um, this movie's interesting because over the years, like, it was a big, big, obviously big movie from where we're younger, but like it's come under fire recently with some of uh, that character's behavior and how maybe a lot of that is not okay. Um, but it'll be interesting to talk about that in the context of what but not the drag. <laughs> Seth, you're the one that lives in Tennessee. Well, that's why I picked it. <sighs> yeah, I picked it. I wanted to do a drag movie. I love it. Let's do it. Let's lean into it. Lead into it. Lean yeah. into it. Uh, so, yes, if you're going to watch along with us next week, we're watching Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, so please watch along with us. So Seth, go ahead and shout yourself out, buddy. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the Birdie Word. That's T H E B I R D Y W O R D. You can find me on Instagram at Seth Adam Crow. That's Crow with an E. So S E T H A D A M C R O W E. And you can find me at my website, SethCrow.com. Awesome. And Megan, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Megan underscore Jane 61, M E A G H A N. And yes, Ricky, I have to check every time to see what my Instagram handle is. I know you can see me doing it. I wasn't going to say it. I called you out last time, so I wasn't going to say it this time. I check every time. It's fine. Uh, and I'm Ricardo Blade Diaz. You can find me at Ricardo Blade Diaz on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, and you can find us, the What's It About Film podcast, every Friday morning on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast. Uh, and you can find us on social media at we a pod what on twitter at what's it about podcast on instagram and at what's it about pod on tiktok uh please let us know what you guys thought of today's episode what you thought of moonstruck and what movies you might want us to do in the future and with the change in structure a little bit here tell us what you guys think about that because yeah we you know we got some feedback from some people and wanted to uh change things up so if you have thoughts tell us uh what you think and you know we're, we're trying to grow we're trying to get better we're trying to give you what you guys want so let us know Thank you so much. We will see you all next time. Bye. Adios. Bye.